0: From the website girlfriendit.com and the movement girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan on TogiNet.com.
1: Hello, hello, hello. You have Patty Wyatt here today, host of Girlfriendit, and talking about what is your it. Daily, What is your it? Today we're going to be talking about parenting and ready or not, here comes Z. In other words, today's show is going to be parenting Generation Z and what that looks like. Life is so daily and we get caught up in the habits and the thought process of this is the way I've always done things. And often we're not even taking a step back, having a little bit of white space to go, what would it look like if we just press pause for a minute and realize and basically ask ourselves the question, how are we parenting and who are we parenting? Uh, I know I have found the research and studies regarding Generation Z fascinating, insightful, and I believe it will help me and my hubby to live a new narrative for tomorrow as we are um, parenting our own kids. I have three of them. And as of right now, I am supposed to be teaching uh, multi-generation classes next month. And as I'm digging in deeper and doing some of this research, it's, it's supposed to be all about leadership. How do we work with all of these generations? It's the first time ever that we've had five and six generations coming together. How do we lead them? And I'm finding it fascinating to go, wait, I... I need to figure out what I'm doing as a parent and how are we parenting them. So I I am hoping by the end of the show that you are going to know four steps to put into practice and help you become a ninja parent to the Gen Z generation. And I know I'm going to challenge myself on on working on these um, same best practices. So we're going to just step back here and start with awareness. Who is the Gen Z generation? And they were born between 1997 and 2018. They account for 36 percent of the workforce today. In 2020, they are going to be the largest generation, um, and that is over the traditionalists, the baby boomers, Gen X, the millennials and the the millennials right now are at 80 million and they are going to top that and go into 90 million soon into the workforce so in other words this generation um it is fascinating they say it's going to literally change the way we do things and see things in our world and i know i've been laughing with some of my friends that we used to see you know the jetsons as this fu- futuristic cartoon and this generation has a tendency to look at the Jetsons like we looked at the Flintstones. So it's pretty crazy. Everything that we saw in the Jetsons for them is is coming about, such as they um, won't think anything of not going to the grocery store. Uh, for us, to, you know, to, I've been recently going and picking up my groceries at, at Walmart, and I'm blown away how much time it saves just to, You know, take a 10 minute break, do some shopping and then go pick it up in a couple of hours. Uh, For those of us who have had to have three kids in a grocery cart strapped in uh, (laughs) and trying to do our grocery shopping while they're crying and begging for a toy, uh, that's just going to be foreign to them. Or to order something on Amazon and just have it, you know, show show up at their door in an hour, that's just going to be the norm where it's still fascinating to me that I can do that. So I'm going to back up. My generation – I'm actually kind of a tweener between the Baby Boomer and Generation X. In other words, um, I had a beeper. I know how to use a fax machine. I know about dial-up internet. Um, I I remember when I was a corporate airline trainer, it was during the Gulf War, and we were taking 747s and putting, um, you know, the soldiers on the 747s and shipping them out to the Gulf War. And this was just an amazing time. It was kind of a crazy time when we were doing this training. Also during that time, very much aware of AIDS. Um, It was an epidemic and the HIV virus, um, or I should say the HIV scare, because people were literally not getting on the planes because Of the AIDS virus, and they thought at that point that maybe you could get it through um, that it was airborne, etc. Kind of like what we're going through right now with the coronavirus, how it went from airborne to now it's by touch. And so people don't want to fly right now or go to the airports or go to the hospitals. So um, just looking back at where my generation was, uh, but I gave birth to a Gen Z two weeks prior to 9-11. So that is some of um, what a Gen Z, that generation is because they have no recollection of what they were doing on 9-11, which all other generations for the most part can tell you exactly what was going on when they watched the twin towers fall. So with that, how do we parent a Gen Zer? We need to understand and once again be aware of who they are, what makes them tick, what's happening in their peer group, what brain consumption is taking place daily, and uh, just that first step is just being aware. And then we're going to get into some great practices. And I'm actually going to start out by comparing Gen Z to the millennials. Or I should say, what's the distinction between Gen Z and Millennials? Uh, I already mentioned Gen Z is 1997 to 2018. The millennials are 1977 to 1996. Now, if you Google this, there's different years there. Just like I said, I'm kind of in be, the in-betweener, um, you know, give or take a couple years is how they break up the generations. But the millennials are, I think I mentioned that, 80 million strong in the workforce today. Uh, If you have an opportunity to read anything or or watch anything on Jason Dorsey, he's a Generation Z consultant with the Center for Generational Kinetics uh, states that millennials are now the largest generation in the workforce and they have experienced, and this is what they get mocked for, delayed adulthood. In other words, um, not not getting their driver's license, not purchasing cars, not purchasing homes. They're getting married later. They're starting families later. And they're just not as young as the previous generations. Their delayed adulthood changes how they look at stability with the work-life balance. And I know there's movies even made um, such as Failure to Launch, etc., because they're still living in their parents' um, basement. Companies in society has given this generation a bad reputation and stereotype by continuously saying they are entitled, they don't want to get out um, of bed in the morning, they show up late when they do go to work, or they're complaining if they have to, you know, take out the trash. And research shows that the millennial generation is splitting in two. There's half that Um, is doing what they are told to do they're going to school they have a job they're highly responsible and they do show up they're not showing up with the feelings of entitlement and they're very dependable and literally world changers but as this generation splits the, the one half of it is looking at the other one, and they're actually irritated with the other half of their generation um, for that stereotype that is falling on, on their shoulders. So if you want to irritate millennial, talk about entitlement, talk about um, how they are in that place of failure to launch. And um, as I said, half of that generation is looking at the other half going, come on, like, Step up. You're making us look bad. If you are the parent of a millennial, it's easy to be offended that they don't come to you for advice. They are actually, which this is interesting because millennials have been slammed so much, they don't want to go to their parents who raised the the millennials that's given the millennials such a bad name. They are actually turning to the Internet for parenting advice. Um, An article in the New York Times suggests that millennial parents which they're actually calling perennials, are turning to Google chat rooms, apps, all kinds of parenting advice. Uh, when experts, uh, um, told the times article, uh, Google is the new grandparent, the new neighbor, the new nanny. So it's that expert that, um, is, is there at their fingertips. So, um, Parents know more about the child development than ever before because they can Google it. If there's a question at the dinner table, they are Googling it to find out exactly what to do in that situation. So that's kind of the good news because they have it at their fingertips. But the bad news is it can be overwhelming and sometimes um, disempowering. Another interesting fact, millennials are documenting their kids' lives on social media. Um, That same New York Times article that I mentioned says that many millennial parents are giving their kids personal hashtags. And YouTube channels, they want to make sure that um, they get them in while they're early, hopefully that it'll go viral. And it's another way that they can become popular, get instant fame, even a way for them to make money um, as ads are are paying for them. So it's it's almost this um, this anxious way of of you know down to their dogs they're just trying to find a way to get them out there to get that that fame going for them. a poll conducted by time magazine and survey monkey found that just 19% of millennial parents have never showed a photo of their kids on social media when you really stop and think of that just a small sliver of millennial Um, parents that have not showed a photo of their kids compared to 30 percent of gen x parents and 53 percent of baby boomer parents we have a tendency to stereotype millennials as being tech savvy but they are actually tech dependent and when when um Gen X or baby boomers will ask millennials, you know, a question, hey, how do you do this on the computer? How do you do this on my iPad, etc. It's actually annoying because they're going, well, figure it out yourself. All you have to do is Google it. And like I said, it's more about them being dependent. They can't do anything without technology, but it doesn't mean that they're tech savvy. All right. So there you have it. Millennials at a glance. I find that all fascinating. And I I said I was going to differentiate between the millennials and Gen Z. But I also want to squeeze in a little bit about Gen X. The baby boomers are the ones that were parenting the millennials. And now many baby boomers are saying, what have we done? <laughs> we, we obviously did something wrong here that they are, um, going into adulthood at, at a much, um, older age, uh, giving them everything that they wanted. We didn't want them to suffer through life the way that the baby boomers did. So Gen X came along and they wanted to do things differently. So Gen X are the ones that are parenting generation Z. So if you're the one, um, Parenting Z, most likely you're from the Gen X um, generation. This is a very interesting stage of life because Gen Xers are being pulled into um, several directions. You're dealing with your family life. You are are squeezed in there, like I said, from the baby boomers to the millennials. And so um, it's a smaller generation, so you're having to wait for the baby boomers to get on in order to be promoted into job situations. And you're also taking care of baby boomer parents. So you're raising your children taking care of your parents, you're sandwiched in and maybe sandwiched in so much that you're squeezed a bit into a pressure pot. All right. Now we have the backstory out of the way and um, it's time to breathe now. I know I just threw up all this information. Some of you know all of the, you know, some of it about the generations, but we're going to get into the nitty gritty of generation Z now. It's fascinating stuff. They came of the age around the Great Recession. So they saw their parents struggling while they were growing up. I know from my own story, my child who is 18 now was in elementary, School during the Great Recession. And when Kevin, my husband, was out of a job for almost two years. During this time, he was, you know, the room mom. He was able to go on all of her field trips. He played an integral part in her formative years. Little did I know that the Great Recession was also a time that Gen Z saw a lot of dads walking to school, um, you know, with a lot of their friends. They, they saw, you know, dads hanging around when they would come home. It wasn't necessarily the latchkey kid because dad was at home. I thought this was awesome to see so many dads involved with their children. And I, I look back at my own dad. Um, there were six kids. I was the baby of six. He was um, a cop, plus he worked what they called the graveyard shift, which is really a weird term because forever I thought my dad actually was working security at the graveyard because my mom would say he has the graveyard shift. But coming from a family where mom stayed at home, but dad was always at work, and so I didn't necessarily get that relationship with my dad. I thought this was just amazing that Kevin was able to participate and do so much with my daughter. Little did I know that the stress... Uh, That was going on inside of of our house and what they saw going on in their friend's house. And I, I don't think as parents we were aware of that stress that was trickling down onto our kids. It wasn't until my kids were older when they shared the fear of, yeah, we thought we weren't going to have enough food to eat because the comments that I might've said like, Hey, you know, we can't go to Starbucks today because we're really watching our money or no, we're not going to go out to lunch or let's be smart with the birthday gifts that we're purchasing, things like that, that they heard that as we're going to lose our home. We don't have enough food to eat because in our neighborhood, They were seen, you know, for sale signs going up all over. People were moving and downsizing because they were out of out of jobs. But once again, never thought of sitting down and just discussing this. Never considered talking about the scenarios or, hey, what are your thoughts? How are you guys feeling? Because I didn't realize that there was stress taking place. So this generation saw their parents um, struggling as they were growing up because of this non-affluent time. Research shows that Gen Z is now very practical with their money because of this, and they are driving the thrift store sales and saving money because of what they witnessed in the recession. It is predicted that many members of the Gen Z are going to leapfrog some of the millennials um, over the next five to 10 years because of this mind shift. They're already looking at emergency savings. They, um, when they go into the workforce, they're asking for the binnies. I say, quote unquote, binnies. <laughs> because they don't say the benefits. Everything for the Gen Z is is a little shortened. Um, And if we have time today, we're going to talk about some of their lingo because it really does crack me up. Um, They're living a new narrative. In today's world, they are growing up in a time that is both exhilarating and, and frightening for them. A few interesting snippets. Diversity is what they are accustomed to. They were around with a black president, I thought this was interesting. They don't really care who is using the bathroom when you know we're making such big a big deal of um, uh, neutral gender bathrooms and uh, who can use this and what store we can shop you know at because they promote this and they don't promote that and we need to where everything gray, you know, they really don't care about what gender it is. They are more concerned about saving or conserving the water in the bathroom rather than who's using it. They are more concerned about the government being corrupt than they are with what party you want to vote for. And that is why as they're reaching 18, they are not showing up to vote because they're they're sick of the corruption, so we're going to see a shift in what takes place. Maybe they're, maybe we won't have the two parties anymore. It'll be interesting to watch um, the changes that will take place. Uh, it's definitely causing changes, and it, it can be difficult to understand. In fact, they are so different from older generations that parents and adult leaders can feel both frustrated with them and fearful for them at the same time, and uh, a few things, this was according to Tim Elmer, he's founder and CEO of Growing Leaders. In this article, it was in Psychology Today, he states each generation breaks from the previous generation. And we don't do this, you know, in a cognitive way. It's just it becomes there as a part of your your thoughts, that the thought process is you are cool, but we are cooler. We are the newest form of cool. You wear one brand of jeans, but we wear another. You grew up with one preferred platform of social media, we are growing up with another. You have your language, we have a new set of terms and our vocabulary. At one time, you were the cool kids, now we are. We will not imitate you and we don't want to be identified with you as lazy slackers, entitled employees, or narcissistic people. So they are definitely taking a stance on not being entitled. Uh, They see themselves as we are gritty, we save money more than we spend it, and we will create our own reality instead of buy into the company line. Um... They will play uh, the role, or they say millennials actually can play a role of a big brother or sister, offering insight as to what's ahead as Gen Zers begin their career. Millennials should not try to win the cool, in quotes, war, but be the wise older sibling or uncle they can trust. Um, he also goes on to state that Gen Z thinks, I love my mom and dad, but I will never do that with my kids. So interesting enough, because they watch the way the millennials were so entitled, they want to change the way that they're parenting. Just like the millennials are now Googling parenting, um, Gen Z feels so separated by the generation gap with their parents. Um that they are already going, I'm not going to do it that way. Uh, they, um, once again, this isn't uh, an, a conscious act. It's just a subconscious act. Mom and dad are okay, but they do not get where the world is going like I do. They don't understand social media the way I do. They dress older, even though they are trying desperately to look young. And they even talk in an antiquated fashion. So, Correcting may take a few forms of Gen Z's, they're, the, they're skeptical. It's this paradigm shift, and they look at their parents' generation, failed to do so many things, so they are going to identify with, uh, we must right the wrongs. They, they carry this mindset that they are not necessarily at school just to learn, but to get good grades. They will secure a place in um, the best colleges. So Generation Z has been thrown into perhaps the most competitive educational environment in history. Right or wrong, uh, they they like the comparison game. They look at someone else's success as her own failure or their failure as their success. They are great at this once again playing the comparison game because of what they've seen in social media. They are also used to getting immediate feedback. A great example is the online grading portals where we get frequent updates on their academic performance. In the past, students sometimes had to wait weeks or longer to receive a test grade. And now they get frustrated if they can't access their scores within you know, an hour of finishing an exam. As well as parents are doing the same thing. They're getting into their child's um, portal and they expect to see it you know right after they take take the test. So, here it is. As a parent raising Gen Z as well as those kids below in that generation, we are a little freaked out by all the video games, the technology that is displayed in front of our kids' eyes. So, we have a tendency to nag at this, and that's why they're saying, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to let my kids have screen time, I'm going to allow my kids to do X, Y, and Z. They want to do things differently uh, because of the way we freak out um, on certain things. So studies are mixed as to the effects of technology on child development, but research suggests that children who play an hour of video games a day are more social, they're less hyperactive, and happier than their non-video game-playing peers. And the caveat the the study also found that playing more than three hours a day is harmful. So that's interesting. I I mean, as with anything, right, you have to have a balance. So we have a tendency to fear the technology. I know I have. And yet, you know, recent surveys, um, this one came from Common Sense Media, found that about half of teenagers, they do feel addicted to their cell phones. So there's a reason for our fear. And yet, how do we get that balance? Um, so on one hand we don't want them outside because we fear what can take place out there, you know, being in the malls without us. And then on the other hand, we don't want them to stay inside and just stare at the screens. So now we're getting into the good stuff and we're getting ready to, to go into a commercial break, but when we come back we are going to be talking about some of the best um, practices and i'm going to list four of them to challenge each of us to maybe um, focus on and be aware of but before we come back because i want to start right into our best practices i would like to go into some of the the lingo that we hear, um, just just for fun before we go on to the commercial break, let's dissect some of these cool terms. If you want to freak them out, you can throw some of these words their way. In other words, um, if you want clout, don't be basic. Simply learn the Gen Z slang and you'll be totes Gucci. Uh, that's <laughs> clout, basic, uh, Gucci, totes, big terms that they're using right now. It, it seems that every few years or so the new hip terms and lingo enter our lives and we're forced to either adapt and learn the slang or be stuck in our ways and feel very disconnected with the next generation and i think it's interesting even the five six year gap from my own kids they laugh that there's a whole nother um language of yeah deaf totes awk is yeah definitely totally awkward um, that my 18 year <laughs> year old will, will say sometimes and you go, what did you just say? So one of them is telling someone to at you is telling them to stop being shady and talk to you directly. If there's an issue instead of behind your back, even though it refers to an online interaction, people use it in real life too. Now they're actually verbally saying, you know, Hey, at you, it is said more jokingly, but for example, if you say someone in this house doesn't wash up properly, your child would say at me next time, mom. And when they're writing it, they're actually using the, the little um, icon at me next time. So interesting. Another thing is a whole meal. If someone is looking good, they're a whole male. This phrase does, I guess, have somewhat of a sexual connotation, so don't go throwing it, it around. Um, basic, if someone is regular, boring, or does typical things, they are basic. And on that note, we are going to jump into a commercial break. So be back because the show is not.
0: Good idea to marry someone just as smart as you, if not smarter, because according to studies, you'll have a built-in brain booster sitting right across the breakfast table. Scientists discovered that after 14 years together, the spouse with a better grasp of verbal meanings and word fluency had pulled their lower-functioning partner up to their level. So, what's another word for a marriage between well-matched persons? Nomogamosis! as opposed to a marriage in which persons are grossly incompatible, heterogamosis. A kiss at least once a day can trigger the release of the bonding hormone oxytocin and lowers the level of the stress hormone cortisol. What's another name for kissing with your eyes closed? Tiflopasia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
1: back in you are listening to patty wyatt as i host girlfriend it and we are talking today about raising generation z how are we parenting what do we need to do and we're going right into four best practices as we are um, parenting best practice number one we need to seek a happy medium that alleviates our fears and empowers our kids to explore the world outside especially outside of our watchful gaze which is really hard to do i know for me i never wanted we used to my husband would say it all the time we are not mall people you are not going to the mall and just hanging out by yourself um, we have our googling eyes uh, looking into everything that they're they're doing and it's it's okay. Uh, it's absolutely appropriate to place limits on uh, what they have access to for social media and able to monitor their activity even before you find anything concerning. It's okay to limit screen time on weekends, especially avoiding the quote unquote friend strangers and making sure that teens have a pro- appropriate privacy settings on their accounts. And I've I will say I have two daughters, and both of them had similar situations where they allowed a guy friend to um, come into their social media world, and it was not a good thing. And it was, oh, I know them because of a friend of a friend, or so and so is friends with them, etc. And so it's just having those conversations. Uh, continuously with your kids. Once again, not in a fearful way, but empowering them um, to be able to make and and have that discernment, make good choices. So what am I talking about by Googling eyes? Give them space. Everyone eventually has to learn how to use the internet and social media appropriately, even you and even me. (laughs) So taking away... Um, our our access uh, for a very extended period of time is not realistic or helpful in the long run. And I know this was a challenge when I would get irritated if there was something, you know, instead of grounding them now, we just say, okay, give me your phone. Or, you know, you can't get on the computer or whatever whatever they love to do. That's what we're removing from them. So they will find um, another way. I can't tell you how many times what I watched my daughter and her friends, where she would say, "Oh yeah, they took her phone away, so she can't um, text her boyfriend or FaceTime her boyfriend." But then she just would turn right around and get on her iPad, and or get on her brother's iPad, and be up, you know, at midnight uh, FaceTiming or um, doing whatever, you know, with, with iPad. So they, they have ways of figuring it out. I know I lead a a group of uh, young adults and often they have three or four different social media, um, you know, ways to go on that they know that their parents are not going to follow them. So it's okay to monitor a, a way to assess their social media. Um, because you do want to be able to have the opportunity to guide them. Um, I have friends who don't want to put their Google eyes on their kids and they give them total free reign. I think it is important to familiarize yourself with your child's digital world. Know where they are going online, paying attention to descriptions of online activities and interactions and let them have fun teaching you about these things. They love to teach us um, how to do this and what this means. So as we are aware, uh, for those of us who went on to Facebook and Twitter because we wanted to familiarize ourselves with our child's uh, digital world, then they went and jumped ship and joined Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. If you want to uh, see them opening up fake accounts, follow them and make comments on their accounts. And that's when they're going to jump in and create their, their fake accounts. Uh, They, uh, I totally lost my, my train of thought. But anyway, they, they've grown up with tablets and smart smartphones their entire life. They've spent countless hours texting and posting, streaming and surfing, pinning and poking, snapping and chatting, TikToking and friending, blogging and sharing, linking and liking. And with all that, that said, they're using budgeting apps like Mint and Acorns. Um, I know any more... They they wouldn't even know what it's like to go inside of a bank because they do everything through, um, uh, I can't even think, is it Venmo, whatever, that they hand money over to me in and, and that way. And I'm like, wait, I don't have that app. So that is how they live the world. Now, Ninja Parenting Best Practice number two, because they are on devices so often, we need to be aware of our approach. When we do find things that are e- that they're either watching or they're texting and it's not appropriate, we need to be able to keep our cool when it is something that's troubling. Approach it in a non-judgmental way or at a non-conflicting time. And I know as much as it hurts us, our teen is probably struggling with it as well. So be honest. Be open with them. Let them know why you're seeing this and struggling with it and the the bigger outcome, the vision of why you're having this conversation, but don't freak out. Don't go into panic mode. Don't scream and shame them and make them feel stupid. Like I said, they're probably struggling with it as well. So Ninja parenting practice number three. Listen, 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 and not listen to me right now because I have this awesome thing to say. I'm saying that is the uh, practice that we really need to challenge ourselves to do. We do have a a tendency to um, panic or go into a different mode instead of truly listening to understand. So have a frank and open conversation with them about what you find. Try to avoid making assumptions about their motivations. Um, Don't bring up past negative behaviors. Stick to the topic and really try to understand the pressures involved in their decision-making process. They are making decisions off of all all of these things, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, and so listen, like I said, I wish I would have taken the time to sit down during the recession and listen and ask questions. Ask them what, they, what they've what they experienced with the current events that are clearly stressful to them. And although they are um, stressful for everyone in the country, Gen Z are feeling the impact of issues in the news, particularly those issues that make them feel beyond they're so out of control. And every time they're on the phone or they're grabbing some type of a tablet or whatever it, it is put in front of them, there's rarely anything positive that they're looking at. Everything is a tragedy. It's how people are struggling. It's um what's going on with you know in the political realm with so much corruption the war on terror and this research is is showing that they are taking it all in they're not sharing it they're not able to download it that's what's causing a lot of the the stress and the anxiety and there's research from author Evans chief executive officer at APA and he shares that Gen Z, they're very open to mental health topics about how how do I manage the stress? And uh, because we have a tendency to think, oh, they're dealing with it and they're not. So he says that nine out of 10 Gen Z adults, which is 91%, said they have experienced at least one physical or emotional symptom because of stress, stress, such as feeling depressed or sad, 58% um, lacking interest, motivation, or energy, and half of all Z feel like they're not able to manage their stress. So they don't know what to do to manage the stress. They are significantly more stressed about mass shootings, rising suicide rates, climate change, separation and deportation, sexual harassment and assault. And if you go on to www.apa.org/backslash/healthcenter for this research, it will show the percentage of how much more stressed they are than other generations. So we need to listen, listen, listen. Listen in a way that we're asking open-ended questions. And and that, of course, is another podcast for another time. Um, Actually, it's a podcast that I'm doing next month on listening. So we need to listen in a way where we are inquiring in a loving fashion, not in a way where they feel like we're, um, shaming them or it's judgmental, but truly that we're there to, um, be empathic with what they're going through. Uh, just like I mentioned earlier, I had no idea that my kids felt the stress and the pressure when Kevin was out of his job for the, those two years, I wasn't listening verbally, but I also wasn't listening and looking at the the signs, the body language of the stress, um, you just think, oh, they're so resilient, they're fine, and yet they probably really wanted to talk about this. I remember um, talking to a Gen Z young adult, and they w- were going through the stress from the October 2016 clown scare that the news uh, reporters went I, I mean, as as they usually do, just kind of went a little crazy about this. Um, some of them said they were so scared to walk to school. Uh, I know my my own child would come home and they had lockdowns in, in their classes due to pictures of clowns that people were texting in um, to the principal's office that were showing one clown on one side of the school and another clown on the other side of the school. Of course, it was a hoax, but the school had to react accordingly, which just added more fear that they're sitting in a classroom thinking they're going to be attacked by clowns. Uh, I didn't even consider sitting down and asking you know, her, hey, what's going on? What are your thoughts about this? It, it kind of seemed comical at the time, because I think of the Stephen King uh, movie and the book it with the clowns, and you're not even realizing they don't even want to get out of bed and go to school because they think that there's a clown waiting for them around, you know, every bush and every corner with a knife. And then they're going, "Well, my mom and my dad aren't stressed out about this. The teachers don't seem very stressed out about this. So I guess." I'm just going to pack this down and I'm not going to talk about this. And, uh, you know, I, I'm saying this, this is coming from me. And I lost my mom in a mass shooting. And although my daughter wasn't alive when that happened, she would hear all the remnants and the stories from that time um, from, from my siblings and her cousins from that that p- period of time when I lost my mom in the mass shooting. And I, I never even considered to think uh, of talking to her about what kind of stress and anxiety she has felt from that growing up in a world of all the mass shootings and the school shootings, and especially when it was so real in her own realm of her grandma dying that way. So it becomes the norm, and yet it's not the norm. So you see, once again, they're looking on social media. It's inundated with tragedies and struggles. Um, the pain that no one else seems to be concerned about. So what do I do with this? How is my head consuming all of this? And and we talk all the time about be careful what you are consuming. That consumption becomes who you are, but we're not giving them an outlet to download this consumption. And I know my husband and I, we, we look back and we go, oh, you know, but look at, what, you know, we went through this and this and this and that, and we're, we don't have that stress and anxiety, but we didn't have it every time, you know, every five minutes that you're looking at the screen where you're being consumed with tragedy and and struggles. We weren't inundated with it. You could hear about it, but I know for me, I wouldn't turn on the news. I didn't listen to a lot of this because I didn't want it to consume my brain the way that they're getting these, these micro flashes of what's going on in the world. So have conversations and listen to them uh, and just be aware of your approach. I know one of the things that's common is that they say, I want to die. You will see in their text messages or online and social media, I want to die, I want to kill myself, or this is suicide, or I need a suicidal moment before I take this test. They have a tendency to talk that way, and it's almost as if, um, in our generation, if I said, oh, I'm such a dork, if I said, oh, I'm such a goof, or I'm such a dork, they're over here going, I want to die. And <laughs> I I get angry. I get upset. It's like, please don't say that in front of me, because I don't know what to do with that information, but it's part of the way they language things. So have those conversations, listen to them, be. Be aware of your approach and how you are soaking in what they're telling you. We are at best practice number four. This is the hardest one, but this is the one where we watched baby boomers, um, how they raised the millennials and how they always had a safety net for them. So best practice number four is letting them fail to better understand success. And when we read that, or hear that, or see that, or try to live that, we just wanna scream with everything in our being, no, I can't let them fail, I don't want them to fail. It's so painful, we want to shield our children from hardship but with that they miss the valuable lessons we once again we watch millennial mothers and fathers play the role of a helicopter parent hovering over everything that their child was doing buffering their sons and daughters from social and emotional blows and it's just it's a disservice to our children so we have to let them figure it out um so Generation Z can handle more responsibility than we give them. Although uh, we definitely shelter them, because of our fears of what the you know the world is a dangerous place we've instilled in them um, a desire to play safe when they leave we say drive safe we say um, be safe this is continuously the verbiage that we use and obviously this is this is positive when considering that generation Z um, what they they've gone through uh, but to also let them have the adventure let them have that time that You know, they do need more responsibilities. They don't have to live in that safety bubble. On a side note with that, uh, Generation Z, on the just saying no to drugs, it has been um, a good thing for them when it removes the adult style responsibility from the child's world. They do not do drugs and alcohol like the millennials um, have done in the past. So this is interesting when you consider like why, uh, that they, they just, once again, they see it as, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want that entitlement. I'm going to step up. So let them step up, introduce new duties systematically, uh, such as asking them, I know this sounds funny to phone in an order to a restaurant rather than using the website or negotiate a deal on merchandise that they want to buy. Um, you know, if they're at a thrift store or a secondhand store, have them challenge them to do these tasks. Uh, and it may not seem earth shattering, but they they have um, developed this thing in their mind where everything is all about texting, that they are having a hard time. Um, verbally doing things, just as simple as ordering something in a restaurant. Make sure that they're doing it. Make sure that they're stepping up and you're not doing that for them. We have to look at Generation Z and see truly how pragmatic and practical they are and understand uh, for them there is a concept of winning and losing. They might still rely on us to save them from mistakes and it's easy for us to intervene, but try and do it sparingly. We might encourage them to talk to the teacher, but don't go talk to the teacher for them. And we all want to do this. As soon as we find out that, oh, the teacher hasn't you know texted back or emailed them back in two weeks, we want to go in there to, to the teacher and say, hey. You know get back to them what's going on here but let them have those conversations let them have the conversations with their friends even I've seen parents write letters to their children's friends because they feel like they've you know their child has been bullied by um, a friend or has been unfair in some way they've sent text messages to the parents rather than letting the child be the one to make it happen step back Um, I know I've had at times where my, my own kid has said, Hey, will you talk to the youth pastor? Or, Hey, will you talk to this teacher? No, you, you pick your battles, you go in and you fight. I might direct them and guide them, but you fight it. You go for it. Um, as a post from today's parenting article said, no one gets, a, um, a link to a downloadable manual. When you have a child, we have to figure it out based on the child that we know. So once we have a better understanding of generation Z, hopefully we can foster better relationships with this amazing emerging generation of excited, positive, and fascinating individuals. So let's go through in summary, how are we going to be the best ninja parent? First of all, practice number one. Trying to get them outside and have more activities so they won't be staring, um, basically changing the shape of their cornea and having 10 hours of screen time a day. Practice number two, be aware of your approach. Don't freak out and panic, be cool. Practice number three, listen, 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 especially being aware of their anxiety and the pressures that they are feeling. Have those conversations. Don't tell them how they should feel. Just listen. They want to vent. They want to download these thoughts. And basically, it's, it's that pressure pot where you just want to poke the balloon and let them release um, what they're seeing daily. Practice number four, let them taste failure to understand success. And I know that is such a hard one. Whenever you feel like jumping in, just pause and go, okay, they can do this. They can figure this out. I can guide them, but um, they know. They know what to do. And with that... There we are. We're all going to practice being a ninja parent as we parent the next generation, this Generation Z that is supposed to be just going to be amazing. And they are going to take over the world. So hopefully we're going to do a good job with that since um, taking over the world is not an easy one. Now I want to go back to... Before we went on a commercial break, I was giving some of the lingo from Gen Z. And the the last one I said was basic. Basic is boring. If they call you basic, <laughs> it's probably not a good thing. The next one is bop or bop banger. And if a song is really good or enjoyable, you'll hear, oh, that's a banger. Oh, that's a bop. The one I hear most often is that's so bougie. Someone who enjoys the lavish and extravagant things in life. For example, did you see her Gucci fanny pack? Yeah, that's so bougie. They also say that's so Gucci. Um, Canceled? If someone does something the internet deems problematic, they are canceled. For example, did you see what R. Kelly did to those women? Yes, he's definitely canceled. Uh, Clapback. Clapback is a response to being called out, confronted, or insulted. So you're getting back at someone. Clapbacks are supposed to be smart and witty responses that burns your uh, opponent. Extra. Someone who is out there, they're extravagant. They love taking things to a whole new level of, of flamboyancy. For example, did you see she was wearing a sequin neon top to gym? Yeah, she's so extra. <laughs> fire something that is cool or hot ironically for example those pants are fire and uh, they don't say those pants are so on fire it's just those pants are fire you're looking so fire today fit fit as an outfit for example that fit is fire um, that just it It makes me laugh just hearing them say that fit is fire. You really are decoding things when they're talking. G, I think many of us hear this continuously. It's a term of endearment you'd use with a friend or an acquaintance. I know um, my daughter, they use G-Dog. She calls her brother uh, G-Garrett, for example— What's up with my G means, you know, what's up with my bestie. G is actually short for gangster or gangsta, but hey, G-girl is a common term. Goat, G-O-A-T, goat is greatest of all time. For example, it's a shame, um, Mac Miller passed. Yeah, he was the goat. Uh, Ghosting? Ignoring someone or not replying to their text. Usually after a period of texting or seeing or talking to, to them consistently, um, someone usually ghosts you if you are not or no longer interested for whatever reason it may be. For example, has Alex replied to your text yet? No, I think he's ghosting me. Um, high key is the opposite of low key, being open, being open sure and overt about something emphasizing something for example i high key want to go to the beach today and low key is just the opposite i low key don't want to do that Uh, left me on red you'll hear this so much with with your kids when someone just reads your text and doesn't respond to, to you they left you on red which is different than than ghosting so there we go Uh, Well, actually, I I have uh, just one more minute. So I'm going to go into salty. You'll hear, oh, they're so salty. It means they're jealous or they just have a nasty attitude about something. If you're shook, being shocked by someone you saw or heard. For example, I heard she's engaged now. Shook. Um, Sick. Something that is really cool. Thick. Positively referring to someone who is rather voluptuous in the thigh and Buhani region, like a J. Lo or a Kim Kardashian. Uh, dang you thick. Um, the other one is shade. Throw some shade is like, why are you dissing on, on her? Uh, and, and the, the terms just go on and on and on. (laughs) But with that, we are going to stop right there. I thank you for listening today. I hope we can go out there and be absolutely fabulous parents for this next generation. And just keep in mind, um, they are going to be amazing and get into their head and listen, listen, listen. Thank you. And I'll be back next week.